Hey, Anna, very, very exciting news from the Red Planet. Are you excited? We have a helicopter, a working helicopter on the planet Mars. I am pumped. I didn't even know a helicopter was an option. Oh, man, this was yeah part of the Perseverance rover that landed back in February. It had a little uh, helicopter attached to the bottom of it. And the uh, rover rolled out, dropped the helicopter there, and it, had its fir- it did its first test flight. Uh, and uh, everything worked great. A little delays, as usual, with some flights. But, Even the uh, it, break, uh, it's super far away. I get upset when my cable glitches. I mean, this is like, that's that's delays. These are like nothing. I know, yeah. So it all worked great. They flew for this little flight, hovered up, and it's all remote control, so it's not like somebody's like, there in the little box driving it or something like that. This is a uh, so you know, first successful powered flight on another world outside the Earth. Very exciting news. Are you so excited? Uh, uh, we'll get into it. I, there's there's, there's uh, some pluses and minuses. You know, I gotta, I can't, I can't love everything a hundred percent. You know, you you know how I am. I'm, I'm Mister Ninety Five Percent. So. Uh, but now, great. Now I now everybody wants to know what this what I got a problem with the ingenuity. Well, we'll say I'm, I'm for sure after we'll the get intro. to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Be patient, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> From our makeshift home studios and Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regus, and this is Looking Up. And I'm Anna Heeman, and we're from the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory. Dean's the astronomer, and I handle the operations. We share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year, and now we're doing the same through this podcast. We love talking to astronauts, scientists, authors, and other colorful characters about topics like astronomy and space science. And today, we're excited to welcome former astronaut and former commander of the International Space Station, Retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Terry Virts. So a helicopter landed on, or, or, or well, is on Mars, surveying Mars like a boss. But you, yes. your feelings on this are what okay, exactly? I'll get, I'll get the know? negative part out of the way. Yeah, I'll why don't you ne- start yeah. us slow and then we we ramp up to yeah, yeah. excitement. So, okay. so, you know, at the time of this recording, the uh, the helicopter called Ingenuity had only done one test flight, and so now, I mean, this is the part, and I you know I hate to be like this, but you watch oh, you the flight. You love it. You okay, love I love it. it a little bit. Is you know you're watching this and they have the, so the Perseverance rover is parked a couple hundred meters away and it's videoing the flight. And so the rover go or the, the the helicopter takes off, goes up ten feet, hovers, turns just a little bit, and then lands back down in about thirty seconds. Not the most exciting video in the world, I have to say. You are impossible. This is the first time. I'm not even like you. Just stop right there. This is the first time this has ever happened. And what did you want to do? Loop de loops. It just started. Couldn't have heard to do a one loop. Oh my god! I mean, oh my just god. one. I mean, you're ridiculous. I thought it was super impressive. It worked. It was starting out slow. You know, it's being videoed by its boss, Perseverance. You know, micromanaging it with this video. And here you are, like, come on, man, do some, do some stunt flying. 
What well, you you're probably do? right. I think you're you're winning me over on this one, Anna. I think uh, I think you're right. Maybe I was expecting a little bit. No, you're you're absolutely right. I am totally exaggerating <laughs> this. Like, I you know, this is an unbelievable. Like, the, the this is like Crazy. this thing's 170 million miles away. It's all remote control, never been done before. Now, I was I was wondering, is this thing even going to work? That was the part that I was nervous about. I was like, okay, so Mars atmosphere is 1% of Earth atmosphere. So there's no air for the rotors to push against. And then, you know, did it survive this long journey being in the, the, the belly of the spacecraft for seven months? Could it survive getting, you know, it's solar powered? So is there enough energy from the sun to do this? Can it survive the nighttime temperatures of 100, 100 200 below zero? Um, but it all worked unbelievably well. I mean, it just, you know, they they tested this out uh, and they figured it out. And yeah, the, the thing about this is you, you've read about the rotors, right? Like how fast they're moving. That was like the, one of the most fascinating. I didn't even think about. Like if I was a NASA engineer, let's just suspend reality for two seconds, and I'm making a helicopter to go to Mars, I'm thinking about cool color combinations. I'm thinking about a dope name. I would not even have considered, which is why I'm not a NASA engineer. Let's just be clear about that. How the rotors would work differently because of the atmosphere on Mars, right? I mean that little that little buddy was working overtime. Yeah, I mean, I was reading is like twenty four hundred RPM. I mean, this is for these rotors, and they're four feet across. So this is like so much power for this little little thing. It only weighs a pound and a half on Mars, so you don't need a lot of thrust. But uh, apparently, you need four foot diameter rotors that spin twenty four hundred times a times a minute. So uh, yeah, it it worked great. So uh, hopefully, by the time that this podcast comes out, then they're going to start flying it somewhere you know yeah then, so then you know, it over, be equally unimpressed by wherever it yeah. goes next <laughs> i'd be like oh they should have flown over the uh <laughs> the, the, the face, face on mars i mean oops i what i what face on mars i said too much uh-oh no uh they i think that that's the thing is that they're going to keep doing bigger and bigger flights after this i think this was step one let's make sure it works yeah okay good we we got one that works so now i think we this is just between you and me i think we should start taking some chances i think, think we got you know it started flying i think we just gotta like really go and just like let's see how far it will go um you really think that that's what we should be doing next is like Taking some chances, like yeah, just doing. The, you know how? Do you know? I just did a little quick. Do you know how much that helicopter cost? Mm, uh, eighty million dollars. Oh, 80. <laughs> that's more than. And you wanted to start doing like dives and like a little <laughs> trickery and like I mean, what is we? You know what? Let's just let it do what it's gonna do. Okay, let's let it just. All right. What do you? What do you think it's gonna? What? What are you most excited that it might? fly over or like check out on Mars? Are you just like over all of it? No, I think you're, you're, you're wise, wise. Once again, you're the voice of reason in this, uh, this podcast. And I think you're right. I think that's the way we should do it. But, uh, just, you know, open it up a little bit, you know, just take, take your foot off the, the, the brake a little, kick those training wheels off. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So hopefully this is just one of many really cool discoveries we're going to be having on Mars and perseverance is uh, just getting started and it's going to start making its way to that, uh, river Delta, this place where, 
this flowing water left these great big deposits on Mars back in its uh, ancient days. And so we're hoping that that's going to bring us something. Um, and then, of course, if we really look far in the future, well, it's going to start collecting some uh, some samples for maybe a sample return mission. That's one thing we talked about in the previous podcast episode. Yeah, and uh, so that's a real exciting venture. But, uh, you know, I'm still holding out hope that we're going to send people there someday. I think uh, I think it's quite an adventure. Uh, think Let's about the helicopter. Let's take it step by step, though. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm thinking big, you know, I'm already, I'm already thinking after like I crashed, the, after I crashed the helicopter, I mean, we got to go up and send somebody up there to, to fix it. <laughs> Do you give the government your IOU for $80 million? <laughs> so, you know, that's the, that's, that's a sneaky way to get a repair mission, you know? Oh, oh no, oh. I, I crashed the helicopter. We need to send, you know, we need to send Brad Pitt up there to fix it. And, uh, send Matt Damon up there to grow some yeah, potatoes. Matt, oh, Matt Damon. Yeah. He'll, he'll know what to he'll do. He'll totally know Pitt, what to do. That's right. Brad Pitt wouldn't know what to do, <laughs> no. but Matt Damon would know what to do. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I, I would trust Matt Damon to fix that problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Silly me. What was I thinking of? <laughs> NASA astronaut Colonel Terry Virts spent more than seven months orbiting the earth in the International Space Station. Now he is ready to join the new final frontier podcasting. His new podcast, Down to Earth, covers newsworthy debates and discussions on science, climate, film and television, politics, and more. It's available now wherever you get your podcasts, and we're so excited to have him as our guest today. Terry, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you guys uh, virtually. I wish I was there in person, but this is the uh, next best thing. Oh, this is great. This is great. And uh, yeah, so making that transition from astronaut to podcaster, tell, tell us about your uh, new podcast, Down to Earth. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. So I was doing a blog uh, a couple years ago, and then I started writing. I really got into writing a few different books. So that took up my bandwidth. Uh, but I'm doing podcasts all the time like this. And I was doing one in the fall, an aviation podcast. And afterwards, the producer was like, man, you got to have your own podcast. So we set it up. Um, I set up this little studio in my house. I went down to Ikea and got some furniture to have some, have a background. And um, and I just set it up. I've, I've had a chance to meet so many interesting people from so many different walks of life. And uh, so I just want to have these conversations. I want them to be long, you know, not like a Twitter, you know, two sentence tweet, but really be able to talk to someone in depth about uh, and the tagline is what matters on planet earth. So it's down to earth with Terry Virts, where we talk about what matters on planet earth. So it's been a pretty diverse group of folks I've had, you know, we could talk about who I've had on, but it's definitely not space only for sure. Yes. Yeah, speaking of that, I noticed that one of the upcoming guests, I, I did not see that it was uh, recorded yet. was the CEO of guide dogs for the blind. Okay. I want to, I yes. want to give, I don't you give anything away, but, I was intrigued. I'm a dog lover. Um, uh -huh. And I was like, I wonder what they're going to talk about. Yeah, I've had golden retrievers since 1989. And um, so I got fascinated by them after a movie came out called uh, Pick of the Litter. Um, and I've just developed this relationship with them and I support them. So I had Chris Benninger, the CEO. She was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's it's going to drop in a few weeks. I'm, I've got a bunch of them stacked up and I'm only dropping one a week. But we just talked about, you know, how they 
how they uh, train puppies and how they train the guide dogs and how the people, you know, the people with blind, they're either blind or have some type of visual impairment. Um, other, they call them career change. So if you're a guide dog and you don't quite make it through their very difficult and rigorous training, you get you get career change. But that's awesome because there's so many other service dog. You know, I just saw that there's a service dog organization that was bringing um, dogs to Boulder. It was a Lutheran charity um, to be with people which, by the way, I was in Boulder uh, a, a mile down the street the day of the shooting. So anyway, dogs are amazing. And uh, this is just one of one of many conversations I had. She was awesome. We we and we're brains. I think we're going to do even bigger and better things than just a podcast together. But I'll keep that as a secret. Yeah, I, I can't wait to learn more. I'll, I'm going to be sure to catch that uh, that episode as well. I can't I can't wait. <laughs> Absolutely. It was cool. It was so much fun. And today, as we're recording this, I, uh, a different podcast dropped with a lady named Katie Mack. She's a astrophysicist and professor, and um, she was telling me how the universe is going to end. So it's a really uplifting, happy podcast. <laughs> Actually, it was really cool and fun. She just wrote a book about the end of the universe. And so, um, you know, there's the Big Bang, but what happens on the other end of that? So uh, it's just fascinating. We were talking about black holes and quantum mechanics and um, all kinds of stuff. It, it was a lot of fun. Well, so, uh, I am totally, uh, obsessed with, uh, the astronaut experience. And so I'm going to ask one of the zillion questions that I have for astronauts. And I'm sure you've gotten this one tons of times, <laughs> but you're in the, your launch vehicle ready to go up into space for the first time. You're strapped into the chair. What's going through your mind as you're about to go into space? What's the experience like of blasting off from the Earth and going up into space? <laughs> well, that's a great question. So actually, I just have a new book out. It came out a few months ago called How to Astronaut. And so I tried to make short chapters about every question and normal and weird aspects about space travel. So that was one of them, uh, what it's like during launch. And as we were in the space shuttle for a few hours, you know, suited up in our suits, waiting for countdown, um, and while we were doing that, we could talk amongst ourselves on the intercom, and our flight surgeons could hear us what we were saying on the intercom, but they couldn't talk to us. So, like, if somebody was all of a sudden, "Hey, I'm getting sick," or you know, "My I have a stomach ache," or whatever, the flight docs could say, "Hey, we need to scrub launch." So, what I did is I I printed out um, a list of doctor jokes and had them on the clip to the pilot's console on Endeavor. And I was just like reading doctor jokes, like, and my commander was Zambo. Hey, Zambo, how many doctors, whatever, or did you hear about the doctor that whatever it was? And <laughs> anyway, I, th I thought it was funny. I think that the docs, the docs did too, but it was like, you know, they just had to sit there and take it because they couldn't say anything back. So a nice relaxed approach as you're about to blast <laughs> off of the earth. Exactly. Oh, I love you freaking out. Um, <laughs> so, so can you tell us a little bit just as you were, um, you know, being in space for so long, what did you like, I mean, what did you, obviously you miss like family and friends the most, but what did you miss about, about being an earth dweller the most while you were in space? Right. So family and friends, obviously, but you know, and the food in space is actually pretty good. Um, I got a chapter in How to Astronaut about the food. Oh. Uh, but but it's just not fresh food, right? It's not it's not fresh. Um it's dehydrated, it's been irradiated, it's been, you know, it got launched a year ago, so it's been sitting there waiting for someone to eat it. And it, there's nothing like going out to a great restaurant or cooking a meal at home. Um when we landed, we took a we had a tent in the Kazakh steppe and then 
we got on some old Soviet MI8 hip helicopters and flew a couple hours to the airport. And when we got to the airport, my flight surgeon, the same guy I was making fun of a few <laughs> years prior, um, went down the airport kiosk and got me a chicken salad sandwich, you know, from the um, Kazakhstan uh, airport. And it was so good. I can still remember the fresh bread. I hadn't had bread for 200 days. Um, and the, you know, the fresh chicken and the mayonnaise, and it was just a really amazing thing. Um, so the food in space is actually pretty good and it's not bad, but, um, that sandwich was amazing. <laughs> An airport sandwich. Uh, next, next you're going to say you got like gas station sushi and you were like crying <laughs> over gas station sushi. Hey, they've got gas station barbecue here in Texas. That's the best I've ever had. My favorite barbecue place is at a gas station called Rudy's. All right, well, let's get some Rudy's on uh, on the ISS. We need it. Oh man, that would be amazing. So when you you landed back uh, to Earth, what was uh, the readjustment like? I mean, you're weightless for you know microgravity for seven months, and then the cruel mistress of Earth's gravity kicks in. And what was it like coming back to uh, to Earth? <laughs> There's another chapter in How to Astronaut. So, um, and so it's it's. Cruel mistress. I've never heard that description before, but that is a great description because there's, I think there's I got two... that from a tick, uh, the tick cartoon episode or something like that. Anyway, ah. I can't take credit for it, but I think it goes anyway. Foul temptress. Yeah. Uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> so there, there are two aspects that really suck, um, weight and dizziness. And so after my first flight, I remember sitting there, I was the last guy out cause I had a power down endeavor. And when uh, the guy finally came in and said, hey, Terry, it's time to get out, I handed him my helmet and I was like, be careful. This thing weighs 500 pounds. Um, and it felt like I was like a superhero and there was some evil bad guy with a magnetic ray that was sucking me down to the earth, like pulling me down. Um, when I finally, a couple hours later, I finally got back to my crew quarters room and I pulled a blanket over me. It felt like it was a lead blanket, like I was just pinned to the bed and I couldn't move. Um, and then on my second flight and I, on the first flight too, but really on my second flight, I was extremely dizzy. Um, I was able to walk around. I was able to, NASA makes you do this thing where you lay on your stomach and stand up as fast as you can. And they're testing what's called orthostatic intolerance, which is just getting lightheaded. You know, if you're sitting on the couch watching, you know, baseball or basketball, and then you stand up real quick, you get dizzy. Well, so we're, they were testing that. So I could do that but I just wanted someone next to me to hold my hand or in case I needed to grab them or a handrail in case I needed it. I never did need it, but I felt like I was cause man, ugh, that first day was awful, but I recovered really quickly. I, I was, I'm very lucky. My body was kind of made for space. I, I recovered very quickly. I've, I've heard the stories. Tell me if this happened to you is that uh, when you get back on earth, you uh, forget about gravity and you like, you know, like, you're in the shower and you're shampooing and you just drop the, sh the shampoo because yeah. you think, uh, did that ever happen? Did you drop stuff thinking, it, forgetting gravity existed? It happened on my first flight. I landed, went back to the NASA crew quarters, and then the next morning uh, got up and drove down to Cocoa Beach where my family was waiting for me. And um, I grabbed a, hey, you want a bottle of water? And yeah. And so I grabbed a plastic bottle of water and I went to float it to the person and it floated straight down, you know? <laughs> so I did, I did do that. They were I like, did it Gee, once. Thanks. <laughs> I did it once. And I was like, oh, well, so, uh, you have a lot of, uh, you've done a lot of interviews. You've, uh, I stumbled upon one from a podcast. Are we there yet? Where you talked about space toilets, which is probably yet another chapter of your book, <laughs> how to astronaut. 
Um, and so, you know, uh, that seems like uh, one of the most, uh, maybe the th- thing that would deter me most about going to space is space toilets. Uh, ah, it's not bad. Not bad? It's not bad at all, no. It's kind of daunting. And I was kind of nervous at first. In fact, you know, like everything at NASA, there's a procedure for it with a checklist and steps. And um, for the first, you know, <laughs> many times I was following the checklist. It's not on Earth. You know, you got to run. I'll be right back. You run in the bathroom. You're done. You come out. There's no procedure. But in space, there's a procedure that you follow because you don't want to be the guy that messes the toilet up. And in fact, there's a really funny story. You have to I, I can't tell the whole story now, but it's really funny about one time I did mess it up. Um, so anyway, uh, the basic idea is airflow. So on Earth, gravity makes sure everything goes in the right direction and, and most importantly, stays in the right direction. Um, but on space, you don't have that. So you have to have airflow. So there's basically a hose for number one that sucks everything in and you need to make sure that you don't get contact, you know, like, you know, that you can just, I see Dean cringing there on the zoom screen. Um, and for number two, it's just like a can, you know, so you go in the can and then you want to make sure you shut the lid when you're done and you want to make sure you open the lid before you start. And so that'll, that'll give you a hint of the story that I tell in my, uh, in my, in my book, but uh, the 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 basics of the toilet aren't bad. You get used to it; it's not a problem. Um, when you're during launch and landing, when you're in the spacesuit, or when you're out on a spacewalk in that big white spacesuit, uh, there's no bathroom, and you're in the you're in the suit for six or seven or nine hours, and so uh, you are a diaper for that. But that's only for number one. Like you don't want to go number two in the diaper. That would be I've never heard of anyone doing it. That would be you know, I would emergency abort the spacewalk and go inside as fast as I could before I did that. Yeah. You say, Oh wait, there's something wrong with my glove. Oh, I need to go back in. Uh, <laughs> it was well, not like, it's not like there's technicians that are going to, you know, get you out of your suit and clean it up. It's you're going to have to be the guy that does that. And your crewmate is also going to be the guy that has to help you. And so you don't, you, you just don't want, that's just like, n- no, Oh, man. See, so many questions I have about the <laughs> life of an astronaut. So I will have to check out your book. And definitely, uh, I'm going to be a big fan of the new podcast. But uh, uh, thanks, Terry, for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, this is a blast. It was good to be there. Wish I, I want to come see a Reds game. I've never been to the stadium there. Oh, it's a so nice I need see, spot. need to come see the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're in the area, we'd love to show you around. And uh, yeah, it's a great, great place to be. And uh but uh, we really appreciate this. Uh, uh, good luck on the new podcast. Uh, and uh, it's going to be, yeah, we can't wait to see, to hear some more of them. It, it was fun. There, um, I've got a Navy SEAL. I've got a guy talking about UFOs that blew my mind. Uh, I got a guy that has a malaria vaccine. It was amazing. So I'm, I'm super excited about the Down to Earth podcast. For today's, well, I'm going to call this a crank, sort of a crank, sort of a quarantine crank. I have recently discovered a little website, Dean, called Reddit. (laughs) The kids are on Reddit. Tell me more. (laughs) Tell me more about this. I know. And they have all these cool images and there's like mildly interesting and interesting things that you can anyway can people make comments too you know i think there might be a comment or two on reddit yeah i can't be totally sure and one of the one of the more interesting things that was 
And people vote on things. I feel like such a fossil right now. I did just turn 40, as I'm sure with you. But, um, and so there was a, a an image, and we'll share it on our social media. And I shared it with you when we were talking about the podcast a little bit. But I want to get your real-time reaction. It's basically a giant plastic ball with a bunch of little tiny balls in it. And it's supposed to represent how many Earths would fit in the sun. And it's supposed to be like a whole, whole, whole lot. So I sent it to you and I was like, here's what we're going to talk about. And you need to let me know if this looks legit to you. Don't count all the balls. But like, you know, it was like, I don't know, however many they're supposed to be. One million or something like that. So my question to you is, does this look legit to you? Or do I need to hop over there on Reddit and tell those kids that they don't know everything? Well, from what you describe with Reddit, I would say that if it's on there, it's probably true. I mean, that seems to be... These seem like you know really nice chaps over there at Reddit. So I would say that's probably true. But let me click on the link just to yeah, make yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. See, here. it was in an and, article, um, but it was yeah, like yeah. So uh, so the the idea is okay. Let's compare the size of the sun versus the Earth, and so how many Earths would fit inside of a hollowed out sun? So you get this big globe, and yeah, you drop things in there, and so the website is correct. By volume, the sun is 1.3 million times bigger than our planet. So you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside of the sun. That's how much bigger it is. Okay, that does explain how I'm able to get sunburned. Because I always think, sun, don't you have stuff to do? I am so tiny. Well, relatively tiny. You are huge. Why don't you stop and pick on somebody your own size? But that's why it's able to pick on me. Because it's like, I'm. it's humongous. There is nobody the sun size anywhere around here. Yeah, so not even like a planet that's the sun size. Not even Jupiter. What about Jupiter? Is in, is in the neighborhood. Jupiter is about one one thousandth the size of uh, of of the sun just by volume. So it's not even close. And uh, so the sun is by far the biggest thing in the whole solar system. You add up all the planets. You add up all the asteroids. Everything in there, it the uh, the sun would swallow them all up in no time flat. There is one exception to this. The one exception is on very rare occasions, you might get a super comet, a comet that is comes by the sun with so much material that its outer shell gets big and expands into these gases called the coma. And there are some accounts of some comets being bigger in size and volume than the sun. Uh, but they're very, they're not very dense at all. So it's like you could fly right through it and probably not even hit anything. But the sun is dense. The d- sun is dense, much denser than that. It's still gases, but it's gases under tremendous pressure. So, uh, so that was, so, uh, uh, one score one for Reddit on that one. They got it right this time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to go on there and share that. And I'm sure it'll be met with only positivity. Most likely, I'll 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 put a comment in there with a thumbs up symbol. <laughs> there you go. I think that's that's what usually people do there, right? Oh yeah, it's to, and it's totally well received. All the, all oh, that man. feedback is what great. What a positive what a positive platform that is. What a I'm wonderful really have place to, look to at be. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Looking Up. Thanks again to Colonel Terry Verts for joining us today, and you can find his new podcast Down to Earth wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you also subscribe to this podcast, Looking Up, while you're at it. And if you're an Apple Podcast user, (laughs) if you're an Apple Podcast user, we'd really appreciate a rating and a comment that helps others to find us. 
Do you have any topic or guest ideas for us? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook or Twitter or drop us a note at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y, that's W-H-Y question mark, from their album Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terror Bird Media. Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. We're produced by Josh Elstro, and Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.